Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 20th, 2012. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and make good use of all the audios which are there for free download. I try and go over a lot of the past of the system which got together a long time ago to rule the world and everything in it and own everything in it too, by the way and how they formed together the richest people on the planet, the international money lenders that formed uh, a couple of groups, the, the, the Rhodes uh, Scholarship Foundation, and also the Milner Group, which became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, better known as the Council on Foreign Relations in other countries. Every country has a department of them under different names, and uh, their, their job really was to guide the world into global government system, basically, using... What they set up was the League of Nations, which turned into the United Nations. They wanted everything to go through a central world bank, down to central banks that would take over uh, big blocks of countries like the EU and the American uh, continent as well. And then eventually they would dish out the grain and the foodstuffs to these different places according to your population and bring down the population by rationing. And they wrote about all this back in the early 1900s. And then when they formed the League of Nations, they had, they reiterated it again there. And then, of course, they they got the United Nations as well. They don't believe in equality. They use the terms all the time. They use democracy all the time too, to, for, to get their aims through for the world government. But as you can see, with those at the United Nations and the salaries they get, and the boys at the G20s and the sometimes billions of dollars country, countries spend just on their one or two day meetings. Uh, they, they don't believe in equality whatsoever. Their goal is to take over all the world's resources. That's everything, your food, water, everything. And basically you'll be a, a new type of slave. We've, been all, we've always been slaves, remember. Charles Galton Darwin said that they've always been slaves. He said in every uh, civilization, and we are in the process, he said, of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery. Well, welcome, folks. And you're the most happy slaves there is. You get more, more entertainment than anybody else. And it's awfully cheap while well, you can't afford your food. But anyway, that's your problem, you know. You're all, you're all part of it, too. And um, help yourself to the audios. Remember, too, you bring the, me to you. I don't bring on advertisers. I don't have, uh, I don't own companies that sell you anything to keep you living forever and uh, do miracles to you and stuff like that. So it's up to you to keep me going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, from the US to Canada, remember personal checks are good. An international postal order is good from the US to Canada. Some people just send cash. You can also use PayPal. Go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com to find out how to do it. And also, Across the world, Western Union is all right, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. 
and I chronicle, as I say, I go through the histories of uh, the system you're living through, what you think is reality, that just evolved all by itself. And I go through the beginnings of it, at least the beginnings they gave us for the late 1800s onwards. It's much, much older, but that would take forever trying to, to, to explain um, all the different systems they've used down through the ages. But money is the key. It's the current. It's from the water. Because, you see, one of the first big banks ever formed were the banks of the River Nile. And you banked the water, then you owned the water. Everybody else had to uh, pay you to get water and have their farming and so on. And in the water you have currents, currents of water it flows, you see. And that's where it all started a long, long, long time ago. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, carrying through the matrix. There are so many topics today, you can't keep up with them, and you're best not to, because you, you'll just go into overspin, you just, you just can't make sense of things. You've got to keep on track with the, with the main objectives of this world order, and of course one of the objectives that Aldous Huxley's brother, Huck, uh, Julian Huxley, from UNESCO spelled out really was, to do with the betterment of the human species. What I was talking about was eugenics and how you could, you'd also train the people using all the, the tricks of Pavlov and, and so on uh, with animals. You'd train human beings to obey and obey and to make them feel subservient to their masters, by the way. That was part of it too. And um, it's quite easy to make people feel subservient, uh, especially when you're trained into obedience. And we've all had the training into obedience. I've, I've often said if a guy stopped your car on a, on a dark highway wearing a couple of pistols and demanded your money, uh, you'd know he's a highwayman. But if he wears a uniform and has a gun pointed at you and hands you a ticket that costs maybe hundreds of bucks, uh, then it's the same thing. It's extortion is extortion with the threat of force or death, in fact. So you're conditioned to the uniform, and that's the only difference. That's the only difference. Because remember, too, the government can only exist uh, at what they used to call the pleasure of the people, meaning if the people were up on what was happening, uh, then government could only exist with, uh, with the consent of the public. Today it's different. They've turned the tables and trained everyone that somehow government is, is um, a concrete thing, like, it, like gravity. It's a natural thing that's there and will always be there. And it's always going to be the same kind of government where only the CFR members at the top become presidents and prime ministers as they have for a 100 years. And they're all through the bureaucracies as well. So you, you, people never question what, what simply is there when they're born. It simply is there. If you ask your parents too, they can't, they can't tell you either. They just say, well, it's because it's there, you know. And that's why there's cops there and, and that's why there's this there and that there and everything else. It's just because it's there. But everyone's forgotten that supposedly these were services. Not, now they're called forces. They call themselves forces. And then we prattle it off because we watch movies that are put out to, the, to change your mind on how you see them. It's all perspective, you see. Your perception has changed. And we're trained constantly throughout our whole lives, as they said they would do back in the 1940s. The same big global group groups involved in eugenics that worked with Julian Huxley and many others. 
It's worked very, very well. And the whole airport farcical nonsense, apart from making a lot of money from the, the guys who set up the x-ray machines and all this kind of stuff, and make a, a make work project too for the, the donut eaters and the people, the potato people that wear the black uniforms there. They actually advertise for the TSA workers on, on Kentucky Fried Chicken boxes and things. I'm not, they really do. They have the ads on them. That's what they're aiming for. That's the mentality that they're looking for at the bottom. Because nobody with, with a uh, half an IQ and uh, any streak of decency in them wants to push people around. Apart from that, you don't want to weigh about 20 stones either, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous what you see there. These potato people, really, I, I, they can hardly walk, some of them. But they've got power now. They are somebody, you see. And that's what their government wants. They want that type of people in there right now with low IQs pushing you around to train you that you're helpless. That's really what it's for. It makes you helpless and ashamed. And then you become ashamed of the fact that you allow yourself to be ashamed and handled like that. Anyway, I'll put, on, I'll put up another video tonight, one of the many, many videos that are going up all the time, where a, a, another woman is molested and pushed into the center detention parts. It's like crystal clear. It's like, a, it's like a glass box in the middle of the place. Uh, like a specimen in a laboratory. Everybody's walking past. Well, she must have done something wrong. Don't look at her. They might look at me too and put me in there with her. And that, that's, these are the things that happen to people. It's teaching us to be dehumanized. We dehumanize ourselves. So I'll put this one up tonight and you'll see how it works with the potato people standing around holding boxes and doing not much else. And right now we're getting so many uh, climate catastrophe predictions coming along because you see the build up to Rio plus 20 is due in June and they always have a big lead up with all the top uh, magazines uh, giving it every kind of crisis out there because they're pushing for bigger and bigger and bigger things now. So I'll put it once a night too. It's called Off Climate Catastrophe and it's a Scientific American blog and it shows you how they really are trying to, to push for more power for the United Nations to have actual authority. That means having legal rights to arrest people and things like that to do with, with the environment. This is what they're really after now, big, big stuff. Uh, just like they've done with the, that they're doing right now with the international courts. Same thing. Remember that the United Nations eventually is to be a form of government. Uh, with all their thousands of NGO armies underneath them. Uh, but, but as I say, it's just get you ready for what's coming down the pike so as you'll hear the arguments put forth and, um, and how they must drastically change our entire way of thinking. That means all of you. You've got to start thinking again in the way that they want you to think, even though it's all nonsense. But remember, there'll be lots and lots of articles coming up about this all over. It'll be all over television and everything. And there'll be special selective guests coming up there making lots and lots of money living off this, this, this con to do with the air, basically. Now, also, there's another side of the coin in some areas. This, the fracking debate still goes on where they're getting uh, natural gas. But the, the damage they do getting the natural gas is causing a bit of a stink, so to speak. And it says, a new Pennsylvania law endangers public health by forbidding healthcare professionals from sharing information they learn about certain chemicals and procedures used in high-volume horizontal hydraulic fracturing. 
the procedure is commonly known as fracking. Fracking is a controversial method of forcing water, gases and chemicals at tremendous pressure of up to 15,000 pounds per square inch into a rock formation as much as 10,000 feet below the Earth's surface to open channels and force out natural gas and fossil fuels. Advocates of fracking argue not only is natural gas greener than coal and oil energy with significantly fewer carbon, nitrogen and sulfur emissions, the mining of natural gas generates significant jobs in a depressed economy and will help the U.S. reduce its oil dependence upon foreign nations. They've got so much oil in Canada and the States, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. And, and all the under, I mean, when they want to put windmills up, that, that never make a, a, a profit, really. But again, that's, that's how you get riches and cons, isn't it? But it's always the right folk that get rich because all the contracts that are put up by governments are given to selective people who are either in government or their brothers are. And so they get all the, all, all the contracts to have these windmills put on their lands. Anyway, and we pay the, pay, we pay for it all. Because he had paid thousands of dollars a week for it. If all of it is successfully mined, it could not only replace coal and oil, but serve as a transition to wind, solar, and water as primary energy sources, releasing the U.S. from dependency upon the key climate fossil fuel uh, energy and allowing it to be more self-sufficient. But the thing is, um, because of what's happening, this is over the expected lifetime of each well, companies may use as many as 9 million gallons of water and 100,000 gallons of chemicals and radioactive isotopes within a four- to six-week period. The additives are used to prevent pipe corrosion and kill bacteria and assist in forcing the water and sand downhole to fracture the targeted formation, explains Thomas J. Pyle, president of the Institute of Energy Research. However, about 650 of the 750 chemicals used in fracking operations are known carcinogens according to a report filed with the U.S. House of Representatives in April 2011. Fluids used in fracking include those that are potentially hazardous, including volatile organic compounds, according to Christopher Portier, director of the National Center for Environmental Health, a part of the Federal Centers for Disease Control. In an email to the Associated Press in January 2012, Portier noted that wastewater, in addition to uh, uh, bring up several elements, maybe radioactive. Fracking is also believed to have been the cause of hundreds of small earthquakes in Ohio and other states. So the law, an amendment to Title 52, Oil and Gas of Pennsylvania Consolidated Statutes, requires that companies provide to a state-maintained registry the names and ke- of chemicals and gases used in fracking. Physicians and others who work with citizen health issues may request specific information, but the company doesn't have to provide that information if it claims it is a trade secret. It's something like Monsanto, same idea. You can't test that's a trade secret, it's ours. Or proprietary information, nor does it have to reveal how the chemicals and gases used in fracking interact with natural compounds. If a company does release information about what is used, healthcare professionals are bound by a non-disclosure agreement that not only forbids them from warning the community of uh, what's in the water and so on, uh, but it goes even even further um, under that guise of trade secrets. So that's that one there. It goes on a lot longer, in fact, and um, it's just it's a gagging order for doctors. They'll start to see certain. Uh, signs and symptoms of something odd coming in and they can't say anything about it. But it's a free country, right? 
<laughs> I'm going to laugh at that stuff. Now, free sterilizations must be offered to all college women, says the HHS. And it says here, a woman of college age who do not attend school and who do not, or do attend school or do not, it doesn't matter if they're at school or not, will also get free sterilization coverage where they are insured through an employer, their parents, or some form of government subsidized plan. And so, so all student healthcare plans covering female college students in the U.S. must include coverage for free voluntary sterilization surgery, the Department of Health and Human Services announced late Friday afternoon. All student health plans said Friday, HHS, so finalized a new regulation under the Affordable Care Act, uh, otherwise known as Obamacare, must cover the full set of cost-free women's preventative services that HHS ordered last month. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about uh, university students. Now all females must be uh, given uh, the availability of voluntary sterilization if they want it. And it says here, all student health plans, uh, uh, HHS said Friday, is it finalized a new regulation under the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, must cover the full set of cost-free women's preventative services, and that's abortions and everything else. The free preventative service includes surgical sterilization procedures and all food and drug administration approved contraceptives, including those that cause abortions. That's what they call the morning after pill. Change days, that used to be a, sing- a song at one time, the morning after. It's all kind of different now, you the state pays for your mistakes. But anyway, it says these preventative health services include with respect to women, preventative care and screening provided for in the comprehensive guidelines supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration that were issued on August the 1st, 2011. HHS said in a request for comments about how the new regulation will be implemented and it goes on and on and on telling you all the different stuff that will be given to them. But it's true socialism, isn't it, where you, where you have to, we all pay, nothing is free, uh, but all, we all pay for, for the decisions others make. And that's what it really boils down to, socialism, isn't it? You see, we're, we're all animals, you see, and we just can't make the right decisions apart from the socialists at the top. And, um, and so we must all pay, like a collective punishment. And they must keep the numbers of the population down. If you went into the group of, I think it's 70 or 77, they've got a group, we've got a group of 20, they have a group of 77 from the whole of the, the Far Eastern nations. And they emphasize in their, their talk there that uh, they always demand that the West brings down its population in conjunction with China. That's part of their deal, folks, if you didn't know it. Anyway, so everything's free, free, they, they think, but we all pay for it, as I say. And those doctors make a fortune, I'm telling you. It's, it's disgusting, actually. The whole medical association and so-called profession is disgusting with greed. Absolutely disgusting. As, and, of course, abortion was the first pillar to go down. And then I said a long time ago, they'll, they'll go up to the elderly next, you see. Once, remember what, what um, Julian Huxley said at UNESCO and its purpose and philosophy that I gave you last week? He said that we must take humanity off its, its pedestal and train them that you're just a form of higher animal. Now, that's how it began. First, you start killing your own children, 
And you, that becomes normalized, you see. Anything can be normalized because we're all so dumb at the bottom. We're, we're, we're kept that way. And then you start in the elder and say, oh, well, you know, it's going to, they might live for another few years on, on, on medication. It's going to cost the, the state a lot of money. We could be using that for wars and other things and, you know, and uh, higher pay for the top bureaucrats, whatever. And they go for the elderly then too. So in other words, they're teaching you to de- devalue human life, including your own, by the way, because you'll get there too. And we've seen so many disgusting things happen since then uh, with body parts for sale and people being killed for body parts and, uh, and as a whole market and, and aborted fetal parts as baby parts. This article is from, I think it's from New Zealand, and it says, um, it says, no, it says is it ethical to experiment on aborted humans? And it says here, it's the hidden site of medical research, a massive industry harvesting pieces of dead children for experiments or transplanting into animals. Ian Wisher discovers the University of Auckland has imported body parts from, from American babies. They're selling them, you see, for a research project and ask some hard questions. There are puddles of water in the gloomy corridors of Auckland's University School of Medicine, leftovers from spring rainstorm and some bad building maintenance on this grey September afternoon. This nondescript urban edifice, now in the shadow of the new Auckland Hospital extensions, houses dark secrets or so, Investigate has been told. That's the name of the, the magazine, Investigate. They're doing an undergraduate presentation next week in the Department of Optometry and Vision Science. A source in Auckland's optometry community confides in a cryptic email. Thought you might be interested in investigate research project involving tissue from aborted fetuses. Optometry, eye doctors, hardly the first branch of medicine that springs to mind as the cutting edge of macabre experimentation. But inside the Cole Lecture Theatre, safely sheltered from the weather and the waterlogged corridor, 50 or so medical students have filled the room almost to capacity as teams of fourth-year undergrads present the results of this year's main research projects. An American woman holds the court, a scientific mistress of ceremonies, taking, making, uh, taking clear pleasure in parading her protégés to their medical colleagues as they make audiovisual presentation after presentation. She's Dr. Keithy Bumstead, what a strange name, O'Brien, and this is her baby, so to speak. Across the road in the big hospital's emergency room, an oncology unit's specialists, intercivists, nurses and registers are working frantically to save the living. Here in the School of Medicine, it turns out O'Brien's team has been dissecting the dead, and they're not just any dead. The title of the project tipped our source as photoreceptor-associated gene expression in human fetal and embryonic chicken retina. As far as I'm aware, this project is unlikely to have received regional ethics approval from the Ministry of Health. The tissue has been obtained from elective abortions in the United States and was transported here for the experiments. This may be the first research of its kind in New Zealand, and I'm sure the public are quite unaware of it. Just how did body parts from a group of aborted American infants end up in New Zealand for students to conduct experiments on? To find the answers, we began investigations in the U.S., and the controversy that blew up there six years ago. It was in an interview that shocked America, an insider spilling the beans on massive malpractice to a reporter on ABC's 2020. And I'll continue with this one when I come back from this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and I'm cutting through the matrix. Talking about really how we're being... We're going into a system of complete degradation all the time, and we must devalue human life all the time. That's our, our training, too, because one day, you know, when you get to maybe retirement age, they want to kill you off before you can collect a pension. They call it more efficient. And after all, the government needs that money to spend on better things. But anyway, uh, training, step by step, uh, first the young, then the elderly, and then the ones in the middle they're already talking about. They've had debates even on BBC. Uh, with some top ones talking about keeping certain people with mental conditions alive. Uh, so uh, it's, it's on a roll, you see. Eugenics has never gone away. It's now called bioethics. Anyway, big money and all this stuff. It says, it was an interview that shocked America. An in- insider spilling the beans of massive malpractice to a reporter on ABC's 2020. All this time it wasn't big tobacco on the gun sites. It was a U.S. abortion industry, and it is a big industry exposes harvesting the organs from aborted babies. According to former abortion technician Dean Alberti, clinics were harvesting eyes, brains, hearts, limbs, torsos, and other parts for sale to the scientific market. Do you think these abortions are just there to help women? That's great propaganda, isn't it? It's really good. The feminists really pushed that. They just want to help women. They're selling all, this, all these... They get paid for, for doing what they do, and they sell the parts that nobody wants anymore, you see. You know, living children. Anyway, it says... To the scientific market, laboratories wanting to test new drugs or procedures or researchers trying to find the cause of genetic disorders or discover new ways of treating disorders like Parkinson's. Well, they always talk about this as, like, as a great thing. They've never found any gene yet. I'm not certain of it. It's all hogwash, actually, when you really go and tell their studies. To make matters doubly embarrassing for authorities, the trafficking was taking place inside abortion clinics run by Planned Parenthood. Well, who else but old, the, the heroine, Margaret Sanger, eh? She loved Hitler and she loved uh, Stalin. <laughs> the U.S. affiliate of New Zealand's family planning organization. Alberti worked for a Maryland agency called the Anatomic Gift Foundation, which essentially acted as a brokerage between universities and researchers seeking body parts and the abortion clinics providing the raw material, alerted by the clinics about the races and gestations of babies due to be aborted each day. So keeping up on all, this, all the ones that were due for the acts, you see. And they bag them. They put these babies in bags, in garbage bags. You can order them by the garbage bag. If you didn't know that, all hospitals do this, by the way. AGF technicians would match the offerings with parts orders on their client lists, Albert and his colleagues would turn up at the abortions that offered the best donor prospects to begin dissecting and extracting what they needed before decay set in. We would have a contract with an abortion clinic that would allow us to go in to procure fetal tissue for research. We would get a generated list each day to tell us what tissue researchers, pharmaceuticals and universities were looking for. Then they would go and look to the particular patient charts with a screen of anyone who had STDs or fetal abnormalities. This is, these had to be the most perfect specimens we could give these researchers for the best value that we could sell for us. Big, big business. They were taking the eyes, liver, brains, thymuses, and especially cardiac blood, even blood from the limbs that we would get from the veins, he said. Alberti told of seeing babies wounded but alive after abortion procedures. This is, if you can't, if you can't listen to this stuff, then go and listen to something that makes you feel better. Because this is reality. 
And the big boys know this. They say that, you know, we're egocentric. They've trained you to be egocentric, egocentric and hedonistic. You'll always shy away from pain, even painful thoughts, and seek pleasure. And that's to your own detriment, folks, because one day it'll all come down on you. So babies wounded but alive after abortion procedures. In one case, a set of twins still moving on the table when the clinicians from AGF began dissecting the children to harvest their organs. Still alive, eh? That's America. Because hmm? nobody bores about this. This is getting too common, isn't it? And it says, it says the twins were cuddling each other and gasping for breath when medics moved in for the kill. Alberta had been asked by a pro-life group, Life Dynamics, to provide information about activities in the clinics, and the issue caused enough national scandal to see an episode of ABC's 2020 devoted to it in March, as early as 2000. Still going on. On that program, as in this magazine, the imagery was highly sanitized so as not to upset sensitive viewers. The closest 2020 got to screening images of trafficked human fetal tissue was a pea-sized fragment of undefinable tissue in a glass petri dish. Life Dynamics founder Mark Crutcher later told the media, We were sympathetic to the explanation offered by the ABC producer, who told us after the show that the network could not broadcast footage of dismembered babies, baggies full of tiny human eyes, or any other accurate footage of the commodity being sold by the baby parts merchants. These merchants are everywhere, eh? Where there's a buck, they see it. But this should have been stated in the program, showing scientists poking at slivers of flesh in petri dish through a microscope was deceptive and it dehumanizes this debate. In America, late-term abortions are permitted even up to 30 weeks gestation. It's a, head, it's a three-day procedure and involves forcing the mother to go into labor but killing the baby with a spike to the base of the skull <laughs> before it leaves the birth canal. Even so, according to Alberti, it wasn't unusual out of the 30 or 4 late-term abortions each week to see several babies born alive on the operating table before clinicians could perform the procedure. Now remember, they're pushing right now for, for babies up to the age of three years old spike in the skull stuff, you know. So he says they were coming out alive. The doctor could either break the neck or take a pair of thongs and basically beat the fetus until it was dead. That's a baby. You know, it's a Latin term for baby. Alberti's testimony was verbal. In many cases, it was challenged by abortion providers who questioned his motives and accused him of him embellishing the sordid details of the abortion industry. But Alberti, the whistleblower, wasn't alone. Another former clinic manager, Eric Hara, gave a video interview disclosing live births as the abortion industry's dirty secret. It was always very disturbing, so the doctor would try to conceal it from the rest of the staff. One incident in particular haunts him. The clinic had begun inducing a woman 26 weeks pregnant, but sent her overnight to a nearby motel to await the full procedure in the morning. Instead, in the middle of the night, she gave birth to a child and was brought back to the abortion clinic with the baby wrapped in a towel. I was in the scrub room when I saw the towel move, said Hara. A nurse said, Eric, you're just tired. It's three in the morning. Then we both looked in a tiny little baby's arm raised up out of the towel and was moving like a newborn baby. I screamed and ran out. The doctor came in, closed the door, and when we went back in to process the baby out of the clinic into the lab, the baby had a puncture wound in his chest. Hmm. In the States, trafficking in baby parts for profit is a criminal offence, but to get around the problem... Universities and researchers pay a fee, not for the parts themselves, but for the cost of extraction. Thus, there are different fees depending on the amount of work involved, and shipping and handling is extra. I wanted to pay value-added tax on that as well. 
So this goes on and on and on. But, you know, there's nothing new in this. I remember a few years ago I, I mentioned it on the radio when a strange big um, scandal broke out of Britain where a, a man who was put in charge of all Manchester's medical health centres was uh, getting all the baby parts and even young children who died with all diseases and things, thousands of them, thousands of them. And they ended up in, in a, a big massive warehouse across in Canada, on the East Coast. And elsewhere across the world. Never explained why they were there. The government really was behind it because they hashed it up big time. But what we do know that the people who thought they were burying their children had to have three or four, sometimes five funerals as they gave them back the different body parts when they found them all over the bloody world. No kidding. Isn't that incredible? This is the world you're living in, folks. And you think you're civilized and you've got faith in governments who talk about doing a lot of us in. Uh-huh. And there's lots of folk who will do this, who will do you, do you in, just like people who are dealing with uh, putting spikes in babies' heads, folks. You better, better believe it. Another topic, as uh, the big uh, financial stick comes in too, there's more Greeks applying to migrate as their economy uh, collapses and they're going to different countries, Australia included. I mentioned, too, that uh, I think it was last year, the year before Lord Rothschild put forth a bill in the House of Lords to privatize all the roads across Britain and sell them off. And, of course, his agents would buy them up. Anyway, it says, new age of pay-to-drive. Motorists face more tolls under plans to lease the roads that are now sold off. I mean, you, you can't see it all coming. The Prime Minister says move which could become the biggest sell-off since the real privatizations of the 1990s will help kick-start the economy. Oh, they always tell us that, eh? Firms and investment funds will be allowed to compete to build, operate and maintain motorways and trunk roads. Existing roads, look how they word it, so you can see the lawyers all over this thing. Existing roads will be toll-free, but if firms widen them, pay-as-you-go lanes could be introduced to beat congestion. So it doesn't matter if they're toll-free. Uh, it's widen them a little bit, or put a little bicycle path on it, and uh, let's have some gravel over it, you know, and then that's the whole road you'll end up paying for. So it's going to get you off the road, as Agenda 21 wants, of course, and um, most of you simply won't drive at all. But it's... Um, there's going to be an awful lot of money raised, and they'll keep putting up the bills, of course, for you to drive on the roads. Agenda 21 says, remember, that in your, your new eco-communities, etc., there will be no private uh, transportation, public transportation only, and only essential services, like social workers coming to steal your children, stuff like that, will have their own vehicles. That's an interesting article out of Australia. It's a mining magnate Clive Palmer has accused the United States government of funding environmental group Greenpeace via the CIA to undermine Australia's coal mining sector. Mr. Palmer made the extraordinary claim over Greenpeace's plan to use the court system to tie up coal mining applications. He's angry at Greenpeace's plan to use lawyers to thwart future coal mining projects and claims funding is coming from U.S. environmental charity, the Rockefeller Foundation. He alleges it's funded by the CIA and says it's trying to harm Australia's industry and help American interests. Mr. Palmer referred to a paper produced by environmental group Greenpeace, which calls for action to stop the expansion of the Queensland coal industry. Greenpeace's plans were, whereas it organises a campaign 
to raise $6 million to fund legal battles against controversial coal mining projects across Australia. How dare they? How dare these private little armies of the big foundations with all this cash tie up folk from getting jobs and being able to be self-sufficient themselves? And this is, as far as I would, I'd put it under a military action and, and just bypass the lawyers altogether. That's a military action. That's sabotaging your economy. Anyway, it says you only have to go back and read the, the church reports, which was about Rockefeller and in the 1970s, and to read the reports to the U.S. Congress, which sets up the Rockefeller Foundation as a conduit of CIA funding, he said. And that is true. Uh, Rockefeller has, has been, uh, in some of the books I've read, even uh, with uh, some of the, the ex of the, the head of the MI5 in Britain, who, who wrote about uh, uh, Rockefeller, has been part of the CIA. He said often Rockefeller would, would be asked for a check for some of the, the guys working in MI5 and, and, and the CIA, and Rockefeller would pull out his checkbook and just write a, a, a script for them. He was part of the CIA. He says, you'll have to look at their secret budget, which was uh, which to the U.S. Congress when the CIA reported to the vice president that the role was to ensure the U.S. competitive advantage and economic advantages. That's how you know it's funded by the CIA. Mr. Palmer says Greenpeace should be under far greater scrutiny. If you had anyone funding directly political parties, funding lawyers to obstruct our laws in this country, it's something you should be ashamed of, he said. He then picks out veteran Greens campaigner Drew Hutton. Drew Hutton is a tool of the U.S. government and Rockefeller, and so are the Greens. Everything they say is as simple as that, Mr. Palmer said, and it's true enough. If you go into election time and see who funds them, uh, it's all these big foundations. And of course, remember too, in the, in the Rees Commission that was authorized by the Congress to do, back in the 50s, to go in and find out uh, why all these big foundations in the U.S. were funding all the so-called far-left and even communistic groups. Uh, the Ford Foundation CEO said, well, he says, we, he says, he actually said the orders all come from the White House. That's what he said. So that the Soviet system could be blended with the, the system of America, uh, seamlessly, quietly, and, 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 and slowly until no one would notice, basically. And then it was there. Well, it's here now, you see. All through the Cold War, the countries were working together. And they fund all the so-called... In other words, they just fund all the projects you want to get... Fun- you create a Green Party, you create this party and that party, and all these NGOs. Massive funding. It's run by your governments at the top of folk, and definitely the CIA are involved in it. Just like all these color revolutions have CIA handlers at the top who train them on how to go into countries, undermine it, get all the students on board, and get them to riot within those countries. He says, I think the Greens is, in this coming state election, all their candidates should resign if they're being funded by an offshore political power, Mr. Palmer said. It's tantamount to treason. It is treason. Something is sabotage. It's industrial sabotage. Something needs to be done about it. And uh, Mr. Hutton, who was consulted in the document by Greenpeace, says there's no money from the Rockefeller Foundation. Well, he will say that. And it's maybe true because Rockefeller has many front foundations. He just funnels money through. Hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. There's money laundered them through the other foundations that they run. So, of course, it's true. But they're really bringing down Australia. 
until they'll be on their knees begging China for help. And that's the idea of it all. That's what, that's the purpose of it all. They must, the world that they've got drafted up for the Far East is under the sovereignty, basically, or protection of the next army for the world as it took over from America, and that's to be China. And the CFR talked about that in the 1930s. You're living through it. Remember, too, getting back to uh, Julian Huxley of, of UNESCO, United Nations, the CEO, first CEO. He also talked about using techniques of indoctrination at school. And, of course, he was best pals with uh, Sir Lord Bertrand Russell and others to do this very thing. And they want to groupthink and so on. They don't want you having good friends at school. It's all groupthink, groupthink, groupthink. You're antisocial if you don't share yourself with all the others, Right? It says here, teachers are banning school children from having best friends so that they don't get upset by fallouts. It's amazing what you can read years ago, before you were born, and here they are implementing all. And it says, um, educational psychologist Gaynor Sputoni said that the policy has been used at schools in Kingston, southwest London, and Surrey, so they've started their test beds off for Britain. She added, I've noticed that teachers tell children they shouldn't have a best friend and that everyone should play together. They're doing it because they want to save the child the pain of splitting up from their best friend. But it's natural for some children to want a best friend. If they break up, they have to feel the pain because they're learning to deal with it, which is a normal thing to do. Russell Hobby of the National Association of Head Teachers confirmed some schools were adopting best friend bans. He said, I don't think it's widespread, but it's clearly happening. And it says, I don't see how you can stop people from forming close friendships. What did they do? Did the teachers go up and say, look, don't talk to this person anymore. Just be friends with the group. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. Talking about how at school now they're test they're testing out uh, this in a few places and of course across the world in a few places too. Uh, every country I'm sure they're trying it out uh, because we're all under a global uh, educational system now. You see, same indoctrination worldwide uh, of how to that you've not to have best friends and they must have your uh, teachers or something going up and telling, don't talk to that person all the time. You know, you can see you're getting fond of them. Don't talk to them. I don't have a best friend because everyone must be your friend. You see. In today's world, you know, and that's just abnormal. It's abnormal. It's, it's abnormal as an adult too. Because they want to change you as adults as well by conditioning you, you as a child. And this ties in again with uh, Aldous Huxley, the letter to George Orwell I mentioned too. I'll put back up tonight again, where they compared 1984, the book, with this 1933 book, um, Brave New World. And this is uh, Huxley here. He says. Um, it says, um, the first hints of philosophy of the ultimate revolution. The ultimate revolution is total domination of everybody's mind, folks. You understand what that is? And the total conditioning of uh, an entire population. It says, the revolution which lies beyond politics and economics, which aims at total subversion of the individual's psychology and physiology, because they want to change you physically as well. And you have been changed, by the way. Your body has been re-engineered since about the 1970s on, big time. 
Mrs. are to be found in the Marquis de Sade, who regarded himself as a continuator, the consummator of Robespierre and Babeuf. The philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex and denying it. And then when you scroll down, he says uh, what he thinks will happen. Because he was in with world meetings, you see, uh, Huxley, and um, as, as was uh, Orwell too. But it says, it says, partly because of the prevailing materialism and partly because of prevailing respectability, 19th century philosophers and men of science were not willing to investigate the other facts of psychology for practical men. So using massive psychology, uh, such as using for policemen, politicians, soldiers, and so on. Uh, it says, thanks to the voluntary ignorance of our forefathers, the advent of the ultimate revolution was delayed for five or six generations. Now, what is he talking about? It says, he's, he's talking about hypnotism mixed with um, pharmacology. He suggested barbiturates. We know they've got so many children drugged now. Have you ever looked at the, the videos they give children in school? They're very hypnotic. Listen to the rhythms in them. Listen to the voice. They actually high pay just a few women generally women, uh, high salaries to make these because they've got hypnotic voices, these particular few women. And so these children are sitting drugged in school and and, and being downloaded with, with indoctrination. And here's this guy talking about it way back in the 1940s. He says, now psychoanalysis has been combined with hypnosis, and hypnosis has been made easy and indefinitely extensible through the use of barbiturates, which induce a hypnoid and suggestible state in even the most recalcitrant subjects. Within the next generation, I believe that the world's rulers will discover that infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons, and that the lust for power of the elites can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. And with that, I'll take you back to the first video I'll put, I'll put up tonight. I'll put these all up tonight, all these links, where the woman's stuck in the, the glass cage and everybody can watch her at the airport. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. <laughs>